Hey everybody, welcome to Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt and I am so glad that you are joining us. Well, we are in the middle of our summer chat series where we're taking a different topic each week to discuss while we're between semesters of our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study. And today's episode is discipleship. Now, this word discipleship isn't a word that we use in our everyday language. It's not really a part of the American vernacular. However, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus commands us by saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, when I ask people what this means, this uh, make disciples, most of the time they will answer by saying, Oh, it's to tell others about Jesus. And to be honest, at one time, that would have been my answer. But that's really evangelism when we tell other people about Jesus. It's not really grasping the fullness of the word discipleship. Yet, it's exactly how Merriam-Webster explains it. Merriam-Webster defines it as one who accepts and assists in the spreading of the doctrines of another. So if our own dictionary definition isn't crystal clear, then how will we possibly understand this ancient concept? Well, today I'm going to share with you part of my testimony on this very important subject because I believe it's necessary in explaining what discipleship is. So before we get started, I do want to talk about our testimony. John wrote in the book of Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So there's something supernatural that occurs when we share our testimony. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uses our story of life change by him to awaken hearts. So I encourage you, go share those stories. And your testimony doesn't always have to be how you first came to know Jesus. It can be about any period of time in your life where you had an encounter with him, you needed him, and what he did in you, how he transformed you. So this this story comes very late in my Christian walk. It was early 2016, very early. It was Super Bowl weekend. I was invited to go to the Lifeway headquarters in Nashville for a small group roundtable. We would be there for three or four days. It was small group pastors around the nation, but there was only about 20 of us invited. And we would sit in a circle with guest speakers in the middle of us all weekend and just talk all things small group so that we could strengthen the small group ministries in our church. Well, while there, it was apparent that our small group had some very impressive qualities and they highlighted them while they were there, while I was there. So I was pretty much on top of the world. We had followed the Church of the Highlands model and small groups have become extremely popular in the church that I was working at. So this session on transformational transformational discipleship came up on day two, and I was so excited because I believed that this is gonna, was going to be the next step that our church needed to do. We needed to start learning more about making transformational disciples. So I had a lot of questions, and I was really excited because at the time it was the vice president of Lifeway, Eric Geiger. My husband had followed him on Twitter, and um, we had just gained a lot of respect for him. And so it was his book that he was teaching from. He was the guest and I had a lot of questions. And while I was asking my questions, I was shushed by the small group host. He said in front of everyone, Carrie, this session really isn't for you. Your groups aren't set up for transformation. And I sat there stunned. I was humiliated for a second, but more than that, 
concerned, I was blown away and started asking questions myself. If what I'm leading is successful, but doesn't have the capability for making transformed disciples, then what on earth am I doing? So I sat in my hotel room and thought about it all evening. And the next morning, the small group host apologized if he had offended me. And I shared with him my appreciation for his words and my concern for what I was involved in. And he said, Carrie, this is what the Bible says about following Jesus. It includes denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. It's about setting our own self aside to become more like Christ. In my groups that he he's offered, um, that they were designed for what the consumer wanted. It was about finding a group that makes them happy, them comfortable. And then he went on to say, if the goal is to build community, then you're hitting your target. But if the goal is to make disciples, well, you're completely missing it. So I left that, that weekend um, with a lot of materials. He put a lot of materials in my hand, and I spent the next few months just reading everything I could on discipleship. I read books with data. I went through small group Bible studies that were dry. And I kept saying to myself, discipleship can't be a book that you go through with someone. But I didn't quite understand the depths of it and how to accomplish it. Well, two months into this journey, Newly pushes me to sign up for Israel. There was a post made from the person that he had been going on his trips with that said, hey, someone backed out at the last second, so I will be taking someone in their place that has to already currently have their passport. They have to somewhat be in shape because the groups, the treks that we go on are extremely difficult and they have to have never gone before. And before I knew it, he was having me call and say, pick me, pick me. And I was the first one to call. And while I was getting off of the phone with our guide, he said something to me that I thought, what are you talking about? (laughs) He said, Carrie, you will never be the same. And quietly in my mind, I thought, dude, I've been to youth camp. I've had the encounter with God. I've had the life change. What more could there be? And how prideful of me to be thinking that. And boy, did God have something huge in store for me. So that was probably in March. And by early June, I was on a plane headed to Israel. Now, when you go, which I encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast, then these type things interest you, go. I honestly did not have it on my bucket list, sad to say, but it transformed the way I read the Bible, which ultimately transformed my life. So while I was there, you are trekking through the wilderness, trekking through the land, and all along the path, you are following your God like a rabbi and like you're a disciple, and he will stop at wheat and tares and give you a lesson about what Jesus meant while he was using the example of the wheat and the tares or anywhere you went. He would stop and have this probably hour-long message that you felt like was five minutes because you were so blown away by the information that you were receiving. So honestly, it was like a fire hydrant of water. And so it was more than I could consume. So I spent the first half of the trip just taking notes like a madwoman, never even having time to write a question because there were so many notes to take. Well, towards the end of the trip, you end up in Um, I'm sorry. Nope. 
wrong, <laughs> wrong direction. Um, while we were on the trip, I said earlier in the middle of the trip, we ended up around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did most of his teaching. In his capital city or where he kind of set up shop was Capernaum. And as we walked to Capernaum that day, my life was going to forever change there. And it was so interesting because little did I know this was going to happen. But while we were walking into the city, there was a big uh, gate and it had Capernaum written on it. And someone on the team said, hey, Carrie, stand in front of that sign. I'm going to snap a picture. Well, little did we know that this was God ordained. And while we sat there that day under a huge tree, we learned about the education process during Jesus's day. And this was literally how disciples were made. It's where Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit began connecting all the dots that had led me up to this point in ministry. And so I'm going to share with you briefly what I learned that day because we need to understand what a first century disciple was. This is, again, not something we really use in our language and our culture, but Jesus definitely did in his culture. And if we understand it, we'll have greater understanding of what God is asking us to do. Now, the interesting thing is I taught this, I think, chapter three of Matthew, and I recorded it. Back then, I was doing Facebook Lives. I recorded it three times. Never have I ever had to re-record something, but this lesson literally would not post. I ended up giving up, going on to the next chapter, and it posted just fine. So I cannot help <laughs> think that there was um, a little bit of warfare there, and this message is so important for us to understand and um Somebody didn't want us to hear it. So here we are, going to try today. And if this doesn't work, <laughs> then wow, that's going to be crazy. So the very first schooling that kids go to, much like our kids, or when they're five years old, boys and girls, we go to elementary school called Bet Sefer. Excuse me if I'm not pronouncing this right. Um, this was... Um, the, the saying is that these boys and girls are fit for scripture. They are spending the early years of their life memorizing the text. And their primary focus was on Torah. The Torah are the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would read it. They would write it. And most students would have these five books memorized upon completion of this level of education, which was around 12. Now, at this time, the little girls would go back home to learn, um, to work in the home and learn a trade. And some of the boys would go too. It was actually a time where they would cut some of the kids, but the kids that made the cut would go on and move forward. Boys would participate at this time in their first Passover in Jerusalem. And many scholars think that that's when we see Jesus questioning people when his parents lost him in the temple and he was questioning the religious leaders. This would have been about that age. And this is what the boys that were in the rabbinical school did. So at age 12, some of them would go home to learn their trade while others would move on to Bet Midrash. This was the secondary school. So this is where they spent time studying the prophets and the writings. This would have been like Psalms and Proverbs and then all of the major and minor prophets. 
They would begin learning the interpretations of the oral law, which was big in their day. They learned how to make their own interpretations and they continued to memorize the text, reading it aloud and constantly repeating it. This was an ancient practice used that is still used today. But they were also learning their family trade. But you see that in both segments of school, the memorization of scripture was extremely important. Remember, things were written on scrolls back then, so it wasn't like every family could take home their scroll and roll it out and have their quiet time. Memorization was imperative. Now, when <coughs> excuse me, when this school was complete, the next phase was to become a Talmudium. This was a disciple. Now, only the brightest students would move to this next segment. The rest of them would go home and work on their family trade. So the brightest students would, at this time, seek permission to study and follow a famous rabbi. The word rabbi here means master, great one, or teacher. This would mean that they were gonna leave home and travel with the rabbi for lengthy periods of time. These students didn't want to know the right answers for a test. They were studying to become who the rabbi was. The disciples watched the rabbi so intently as they imitated every move that the rabbi made. They walked like he walked. They taught like he taught. What he said, they said, and how he interacted with others, how he ate, how he slept. Literally, they watched everything about him and they wanted to become identical to him. This is how the faith was passed on to the next generation. So get this, the process of becoming a follower is so interesting. The student would approach the rabbi that he wanted to look like. Are you hearing me? They found who they wanted to look like. They would approach the rabbi. Let me pause here. I need to pause here. So what they did is they found who they wanted to look like and they followed. In our American culture, we pick what church has the most comfortable amenities for us. And that's where we're going to go, even if we don't want to look like the pastor or don't want to look like um, other people on leadership. Here, they didn't care about the bells and whistles. They wanted to follow, they chose who they followed by patterning who they wanted to look like and then emulating them. They would approach the rabbi and then the rabbi would quiz them to make sure um, that the time that the rabbi would invest in the student would be worth it. If the rabbi agreed to this discipleship process, they would respond with the words, come follow me. So the student found the rabbi and the rabbi would say, come follow me. Now, Jesus does everything a little bit opposite, and that's what we absolutely love about him. We see him going about this differently. He's always out of the box. And how what he did is we see him walking on a beach, approaching people, doing their trade. So what did that mean? That mean that these boys had been cut, that they had tried to go down the path to become a rabbi, but they didn't have what it took. And so we see Jesus approaching them, these boys that had been rejected by the system, and he looks at them with these words, come follow me. Well, what does that mean? That's an invitation from the rabbi to be followed. And so when we read this in our 21st century language, we, I mean, I can remember as a teenager being blown away. Like, I can't imagine the strangers walking up and saying, come follow me. They don't know who he is, but they drop everything. They leave their careers and they follow him. No, the system that was created, they probably 
had known who Jesus was, he probably had um, started gaining some traction, some notoriety. And when they he said the words, come follow me, what he was saying is, hey, I choose you to be my disciple. And it would have been the greatest honor. Of course, they would have dropped their nets and they would have followed him. To me, this part of the story is so much more beautiful. It's often taught they had such great faith. They didn't even know what they were getting themselves into. They just followed this stranger. But what I see through the accurate story is you see boys that the world had said, no, you don't have what it takes. And the creator of the universe says, yes, you do. Come follow me. Okay, I'm about to get choked up and cry here. Okay, so what does this look like for us? How do we apply this? We need to be a disciple and a disciple maker. So let's talk about being a disciple. A good disciple found the rabbi they wanted to look like. Find who you want to look like and follow them. Even if that means something radical like packing up and moving um, across the country to another church, um, to a neighborhood, move into their proximity, or maybe even apply, apply for a job where they work. I'm not talking about stalking them. Please don't make this weird or think I'm saying make it weird. I'm just saying adjust your life to where they are. Get into their proximity. Um, get involved in things that they are involved in. Help volunteer where with what they are doing. Let me give you an example of what not to do. Um, some years ago, um, Newly and I had a couple that really wanted us to invest in them. So they showed up to our church once, but they didn't come consistently. And I told them from the get-go, like what they were asking is, hey, four or five nights a week, can you make time for us? Now, I don't know. They wanted us to go out of our way for their schedule. What I had explained to them is, hey, come get plugged into church, get on a team, get in a small group. This is who we're spending our time with investing in. And then ensure, yes, there's going to be other things. We are going to invite people over, but they weren't willing to adjust to what we were doing. And what I'm saying is when you find somebody you want to follow, you get in their life. Don't expect them to get into your life. And so this is how the ancient students learned how to follow God is by following someone who had been following him a lot longer than they have. Be available and be approachable. The best, oh, so this, okay, so we're now we're moving on. Sorry, we're moving on to you discipling others. And that's where you, both ways, you need to be available and you need to be approachable. The best disciple that you will ever make if you have children are your children. For more information on how to disciple your children, that will be coming later this summer. And we're also planning in the fall to have a parenting summit to give you all the tools for all the age ranges that you would need to make productive disciples in your own home. It is the greatest calling that you have. And everyone who has children are called to do this. Look up Deuteronomy 6 and just read that now and it will help you get started. But for others, this is what we have to do. We have to set margin in our time to say yes. We cannot fill up our schedule so busy where we don't even have time to wave to a neighbor, much less to make a disciple. And remember, this is a command from God. This is the one thing that the church, I would say one of the most important things that the church needs to do. And by the church, that means you and I. We have to make disciples. So we have to set time in our lives to be able to say yes, to be able to have people over. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see the people right under your nose, because I promise you they are there. Um, this whole 
Bible nerds got started because as I'm hearing this discipleship message in Capernaum, I am picturing this girl that had been running up to me in the lobby asking me all of her questions about the Bible while I'm barking information at her. And what I was realizing is I had had it all wrong. What I needed to say is, oh, this girl is interested. Let me invite her into my world. Let me invite her over. Let's read our Bibles together. Number three, have a plan and also be spontaneous. Have fun together. This this discipleship process is about them seeing you in your everyday life. So have fun. Invite them over for coffee or out to eat or maybe um, to a water park with your family. But also have a time to be intentional, just like with Morgan and Tabitha. On Wednesdays at lunch, we met to study the Bible, and we knew what we were going to study. We were going to study another chapter in Matthew during that time for a plan. If you're thinking, I want to do this, I want to go through a book of the Bible, I want to disciple people, I also encourage you to use the book series Growing Up by Robbie Gallaty. Now, I told you at the beginning of this, I was reading a lot of curriculum and books on discipleship, and I wanted to poke my eyeballs out. This is the best thing that I have found because each chapter is a very simple read, but it's going, it's supposed to be read in conjunction with studying the Bible together, but it is going to give nuggets of things that disciples do that maybe you can't remember to, to hit on all of these important topics. Well, he does it for you. He even has questions for you to discuss in there. The book series is growing up, firmly planted and bearing fruit, and is designed to take people that you are discipling through 18 months. I promise you, you will love this book, but it's supposed to be read in conjunction with the Bible. Okay, so that is your plan. Um, Let's see, just again, I just want to reiterate, but invite them over just to hang out, do life together. And the last thing I want to introduce you to is how I do my Bible nerd small groups. Now, making a disciple can look many different ways, but this has been successful for me. I invite people over through the avenue of small groups. I volunteer at my church to be a small group leader. I'm actually a small group coordinator, so that's pretty easy. But sign up to lead a small group. And then people are going to sign up for your group. You don't even really have to do a lot of work except tap people on the shoulder and say, hey, you should be in my group. They know because our church goes through books of the Bible. But if you're at a church where it's kind of whatever you want to do, let them know, hey, we're going to be going through a book of the Bible one chapter a week. When we get there on day one, I explain to everyone I'm going to be assigning everyone a chapter to teach. We will all be reading and studying it. And I will go first to model the teaching. But each week, I'm not going to be the one talking. We are going to take turns. And so what I do, and I want to tell you that I've never had anyone say no and get out of the group. And I've been doing this since 2016. Are people scared? Yes, they're scared out of their mind. I push them out of their comfort zone. And I reiterate that this is not a contest to have the best presentation. This is a contest to grow in our ability to study and talk about scripture. So what happens is I explain to them, we're all going to study the chapter and take notes and use commentary and add some added information into that chapter. But there will be somebody different teaching the chapter. I'm going to give you 15 to 20 minutes to do your presentation. If you need to read it verbatim, read it verbatim, but explain to the group what is happening in this chapter as if they did not read it. Treat it like it's a movie that you went and saw and you couldn't wait to come home and tell other people about it. And so when the timer goes off, 
If they need a few more minutes, you give it to them, but that kind of gives you an about time. They might be done quicker, but when the timer goes off, then we open the floor up and allow anyone to discuss what they got that maybe was missed. And we all talk about our takeaways. I cannot tell you this past semester how difficult Daniel was. There were times that we were like, whoa, this next chapter is going to be so scary. But I can tell you this, after the person presented, it ended up being their favorite chapter. The one that you dig in the most and put the most blood, sweat, and tears in will be the one that God speaks to you the most. Therefore, it will be the most special to you. But then afterwards, something special would happen. We would just sit for another 45 minutes and just break it apart. And God would be giving us revelation through the other ladies talking. And the conversation would just keep going. It is nothing like it. It is so special. And that is our segment for today. Hey, if you have other topics that can be anything between marriage and Bible questions and raising kids and anything in between, send them to us and we will consider making a podcast on them this summer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week and happy reading.